Ninth Story Studios, giving story a voice. You're listening to The Private Collector. Hang on to your hats. Things are about to get weird. Last season on The Private Collector. I walked up to the pyramid and stepped through the door. It was all light inside, like a thousand candles burned as bright as the sun. And there she was, standing in the middle of the room, better than six feet tall and a full-grown woman, but just like the nasty little girl things otherwise. Dirty, torn, white nightgowns smeared in blood to her knees. A mess of filthy yellow hair hanging to her waist, her arms outstretched to me. Something small cradled in their midst, as if an offering of some sort. I walked up and took it from her, figuring I knew what it was, and I did. It was the snow globe, the scene inside depicting the ruins of an old chapel, an ancient graveyard circling it like a protecting ring of toadstools, but this time, something was different stared and looked back at the spectral woman thing in horror. There was a tiny figure in there, kneeling, bound and gagged amongst the rotted gravestones. I took one step toward the woman, ready to throttle her and drag her into the stinking earth with my bare hands if need be. She just laughed. I took another step fell into utter void blackness. I kept falling and falling and falling. The snow globe gripped in my hand as I seemed to fall for a thousand years. I could see the bound figure was hideously somehow alive in there, writhing around, fighting to break free. His silent scream swallowed by the swirling snow that circled viciously around him like a horde of tiny white furies. It was the librarian. And now, season two begins with the conclusion of Ancient Salts. Private Collector, Season 2, Episode 1, Ancient Salts, Part 2, by Aaron Vleck. I tumbled head over heels through empty space, with nothing to grab onto in my headlong crash through nothingness. Black as any delirium midnight, the one thing I was sure of was this was the worst flavor of juju 
a fellow could ever hope to never shimmy up against. There wasn't a peep out of Spidey. My own beat on things was dead as the grave out of some empty shadow of the cosmic void, and I wasn't really sure who or what I was anymore. Whatever I was, I just kept on falling. After maybe a million years or so, I splashed face down in an icy puddle of mud. Scrambling upright so I didn't drown in the stuff, I realized my right hand was on fire and I was clutching something hard in my balled-up fist. I shook my head and remembered. The snow globe and the librarian. Inside the globe, a roaring blaze burned right through my skin, so I dropped the thing in the snow and watched it sizzle. Had there been snow when I came out here to... That's right. I was on Packard's Island, wasn't I? Was I? I buried the globe in the snow, hoping to put out the flames, but it was no good. Whatever, whoever was inside that thing was no more. But that just didn't cipher. Not the librarian. That cat was serious hex. Old-time juju clear past Sunday in Kingdom Come. There was no putting that guy down know-how. Was there? I thought back, and I wondered why he never left his basement lair. Why he always sent me on his missions instead of going himself. Nah, not possible. I had to follow this thing through to the end, like he'd be waiting for me on the other side, just like usual, with that crazy chuckle of his. Yeah, that was all I could do. I picked up the snow globe again. It was cold now, empty, dark and icy, and stuck to my fingers. I looked inside, wondering if there was any trace of anything, and what I saw coming out of a black fog that roiled over everything in there gave me a start. Inside the globe, I could see the town, Hudson, lying under a dark, angry blanket of clouds. It was the same as when I'd got into town, just, well, barring any funny business with time while I was falling. I had only got back into town this morning, talked to the geezers this afternoon, then rowed out here in their boat this evening, and for some reason, Martine's face, her eyes red from crying, was all mixed up in there somehow, too. I just stared at the town, nestled there in my hand, Warren Street running right through the middle of it. My eyes were getting heavy, and I started to nod and jerk myself awake in a panic, seeing a tiny image of good old Frank Enfield himself walking up that very shade of Warren Street in the middle of the globe. Then it was all over. I have no clue how much later I started to crawl out of the fog in my head and heard voices scrambling somehow with my brains. You think he's dead, do you? A goner, maybe. Mm-hmm. A goner, do you think? <laughs> of course not, you fool. Look at him breathing there. Ain't you never seen nobody dead? Don't you say nothing, cause I know you has. Damn right, old buzzard. Well, I put down more'n my share in my time, and will again if I gets half a chance. Needs calls for it. You can be sure in it. What's the matter with him? Old son, you go on, you wake up now, here. I felt him poking me in the ribs with what felt like a bony finger. Oh, just leave him be, will you? He'll be fine in no time. 
He's lucky we pulled him out of there when we did. Yes, sir, he is. I opened my eyes, and the light cut through my eyeballs like a rusty knife. I was swinging in a hammock out in front of the geezer's shack, and they were gathered around staring at me, not more than a couple of inches away from my face. I pried my eyes open all the way and stared at them, and they all shut up. He's back amongst the upright. Hallelujah. His voice was all quiet, more like that of a normal human than some half-crazed wino. But then, I knew better than to ever think the geezers were either of them two things. You boys go on and get for a spell. Go on here. Me and old Frank here, we need to chew the fat some. Talk things over and cipher up the score. His companions all disappeared into the shack without a peep like they were more than glad of the chance to amscray. The boss man, Crow Geezer, combed his unusually long, skinny fingers through his scraggly beard and set his butt down on an upturned bucket and paused to ponder his thoughts. So, Frank, the way I see it, it's like this. Now, wait a goddamn minute here. Just tell me, how'd I get here? You boys come out to the island to fetch me, or did I somehow manage to row back here on my own? I don't see how that's possible, though, right? Right, right. You see, what we got here is one of them there conundrums, as they say. You know, a real pickle. So, yes, sir, we come out to the island to check up on you as you didn't come show back up here at the shack in due time like we thought you would. Found you passed out in the snow, clutching an old rock. Well, I'm mighty grateful. Hey, wait wait a minute. A rock, you say? I looked around, but the snow globe was nowhere in sight. That's right. It's safe and sound in your sack where I put it, thinking it might be important, seeing as you was grabbing it tight, as a tight grabbing his mammy's hand in a snowstorm. Where was I on the island? Where did you find me? Out by that old pyramid thing on the other side. Was it open? Did you go inside? I asked, hoping he'd seen the woman and might know something about her. Go inside? You crazy old son. There's no way to get inside one of them things. Why, they wall up the dead in there just as tight as a drum with all their hex and juju gear for the great beyond. Wherever those fellers think they go. That's right. The crazy geezer called from the shack. Obviously nosing in on what we were talking about. Them Theo's are fat fellers. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. That's what they do. Mm-hmm. Some of them. Sure as shine they do. Them's that can afford it. They got all the gold that shines. Mm-hmm. Get on now. I said skedaddle. The boss man roared, and the door slammed shut. So there was no way in. No door, no how. Covered as thick as my fist all over with moss. But you got to hear me say... The rest of it, it's all for chewing on later after things are sorted out and set to rights if we can. All right, then. Say your piece, then tell me what we need to do. I poured out of the hammock and grabbed for my sack to take a look at this rock he said I was holding when they found me. I didn't even ask how they'd got out there since I'd taken their boat. I knew well enough. Some things don't need to be spoke out loud. They just pass as an understanding between folks. I fished around in my tote sack, but there was no rock in there. But I did find the snow globe. 
I brought it out slowly. Both the geezer and I gaped at it. He glanced up at me out of the corner of his eye. No, sir. That was not in there forehand or when we found you. No, sir, it was not. And there's no rock in there now. Sure enough, I suppose there ain't. All right, then. All right. Let me see that there thing. Yeah, that looks like the town of Hudson on the Hudson, all right. Looks strange, though, don't it? We just looked at each other for a bit. You, uh... Come on, old son. Let's wander a bit, you and me. He stood up and, for the life of me, looked taller, darker, and nothing at all like the nice old geezers I'd come to know. It was getting driven home right in front of me, like never before, how these were not just a pack of silly old farts carrying on down by the river and looking out for their next lick of hooch. I'd seen way too much out of them, hereabouts and down in New Orleans for that. I was utterly speechless, like a kid with a guilty secret standing in front of the principal, that same kid on Christmas morning when he comes down to see what Sandy left for him under the tree all at once. I was in the presence of Juju, ancient and strange, like nothing I'd ever spied before, and I realized I had no idea what these guys were, really. You see anybody out there, did you? Anybody looking like a woman of sorts? Something like that? He was watching me very closely, for signs of what, I had no idea. I was way over my head here, as I was with each new auntie out of my dealings with the librarian and his folk. I'd never seen this geezer acting like this, all grave and mysterious and knowing more than I ever would or would ever hope or want to know, even in my line. Yeah, there was a woman thing out there. Remember those evil little tykes out there and the same ones down in Louisiana on Amadie Philippe's place? He nodded and spit something into the dirt in disgust. Of course I do. I put a lot of them down myself in those doings. That's why I ask you. Well, in that pyramid was a grown-up woman-sized thing. Just like them. Like a queen of their type. I'd had a sending earlier in the day about a snow globe. Same as I'd seen back when I set to the Packard's place. It had been sitting on top of their fireplace in the house. Well, today, I guess it was today, I can't tell really, but out there that woman handed me the globe and the scene inside, well, the librarian was in there, bound and gagged, and somehow he was alive in there. Then the thing was on fire inside. The town of Hudson was in there too, and I was falling in the darkness for what seemed like forever forgot everything until I woke up here. We walked in silence after that, but I was chomping at the bit for information, and just as scared he might turn around and give it to me. And that fear made me disgusted at myself. Yeah, well, thing is, here's the rub, old son. There's a lot the librarian ain't told you yet. He sucked on his tooth like he did when he was thinking and squinted like it helped him see further. Maybe it did. I know that. Hell, I don't suppose I'll ever know half of what he knows. No, sir, you never will. See, there's basically the things that is, the things that was, and the things that will be in this old world of ours, keeping the meaning important simple-like. There's what I call the table, there's what's on the table, and there's what's off the table. Now listen, and you'll learn a thing. All that's in creation that you got a word for, if you can fix it in your head between your two eyes, 
It's on the table, as they say. Ain't juju, folks, thoughts, I don't care what. Apples and jalopies, dreams, you got a word for it, it's on the table. Ever was, ever will be, some things you just got a hint or an idea about. Everything else, it's off the table. And you got no damn business messing with it unless it gets a bead on you. Then it might mark you for its own, or kill you, or worse. Or maybe teach you a thing or two. He paused and pulled a thin bottle of hooch from his back pocket, took a swig, and offered it to me. I took a pull of something powerful from his flask, and trying as best I could to cipher what he was telling me. Oh, okay, so where are we? Are we on the table or off it? The old guy let loose a belly laugh and slapped (laughs) me on the back. Don't you fret, none boy. We're still on the table, you betcha. None of this business is off the table. It's a mess to be sure, and might just call for extreme measures. But you're on the table. The town's on the table. And the librarian? Oh, sure, that old boy's on the table. Don't you worry none about that. And that woman thing out there. She on the table, too? She is most certainly on the table. Don't you worry about that none, neither. She's old. Older and way different than you can imagine. But she's in creation, square to rights. She can be dealt with just like anything else. It takes special means to bring to rights one of her sort. But what with the doings with the Packards a couple years back and then that business down in Louisiana, and now this noise and mischief with the town, and now you say the librarian turned up missing, things is beyond the pale, and I'm making the call. This is my watch, and I'm putting her away. He looked off toward the river. We'll just pay the cost, we will. Can't be helped. Draw straws and all for it if we have to. Pay the cost? Who's going to draw straws? Never you mind. I got work for you, old son. And you ain't going to like it, but we all gots to carry our load. And that includes you. He grabbed my shoulder and gave it a shake. He was smiling. But I didn't like that smile. It was sad. Sadder than anything I'd ever seen. Sadder than anything I'd seen in this life, and I almost started bawling like a tot. But he turned and headed back towards the shack. Where are you going? What now? You get back onto town now and get some rest. You'll be safe to sleep. I'll see to it. You come back around nightfall, or what had passed for a nightfall in the town. I need to talk to my boys. Figure things out. We're flying tonight. You're flying with us, crow's style, after a manner. What? But he'd already disappeared into the trees and was gone. I wandered back into town, and somehow it seemed to take longer and shorter than usual. And things didn't seem right, and I knew I was walking through juju and not normal space and time. The sky was all gray. Not like clouds and such, but like unfinished space. And it left me feeling all hanky and sick inside, and on my guard. Not knowing what to expect at any minute. Not liking the sound of flying crow style tonight, after a manner. Whatever that meant. I thought about Martine again, 
and hoped she was watching out for me like she said. I made my way to the hotel and dragged myself up the stairs to my room. Everything was solid enough, but somehow incomplete, like only what was needed to keep me standing up and on firm ground. And I wondered where I was, really. Everything looked flat, like a two-bit carnival arcade, but still familiar, like the real thing. Of course, there was no sleep in the cards for me, so I pulled the chair up next to the window and just stared out, keeping some sort of vigil over the town, hoping wherever they were that everybody was okie-dokie. Before long, I'd had enough of just sitting there and went back out to the streets. Then I said the hell with it and started back down to the geezer's shack, hoping to get this show on the road. When I got there, they were standing in a circle around an old oil drum. I called out, and they opened a place for me in the circle, and I stared into the murky black waters that filled the drum. But there was nothing there for me to see, so I figured they'd concluded whatever business they'd had with the thing. Without a word, the boss man geezer grabbed the base of my skull with one hand and my forehead with the other in a vice grip, and I froze where I stood unable to move a muscle. My eyelids dragged themselves shut as I was hoisted up and carried by strong arms and then dumped back into the hammock. It was the flapping of lots of huge wings and the feeling like you get sometimes when you dream about falling on a belly full of hooch. Like my stomach was running one way, but my body was having none of it. Then all I saw was stars. And then nothing black like the midnight sky when the storm clouds are hanging low and nothing we were moving real fast though i could tell that much like we were a freight train speeding over open ground i felt the touch of some other mind holding me tight telling me something everything was okay maybe this went on and i froze stiff in there and scared to my bones Later, I saw a narrow band of gray up ahead, like pre-dawn on the horizon. I looked around and saw the crow I was riding. In his head, maybe, his wings broad and black and dipping back and forth as they made their way over the wind as it whipped past us. Then I saw his friends, the four of them, the rest of the geezers, looking all wild and terrifying, and I bristled with a kind of pride that they were my friends and got a chill down my backside when I reminded myself that while they'd never meant me any harm and saved my hide more than a few times, I could hardly call these guys my friends after the fashion of anything that passes for it among normal folk. Something the boss man said before he grabbed me and sent me into some sort of trance came back to haunt me. I'd asked him if I'd be okay, whatever happened, me flying with him. Was it safe in case something happened? It was just a stupid question from a guy like me, but just slipped out before I knew it. Son, something always happens. You can count on that. Nobody's ever safe. What's that matter in the long run of things? Now hush. And then, without any more to do, I was flying. 
The long, gray line I took to be sunrise was looming closer and closer. But then, to my horror, I saw it was not the coming dawn, but rather a narrow band of who knows what between two vast black plains of nothing. Then we were in, blasting through the gray that beat down on us like a wind tunnel. We flew sideways against the torrent of freezing air, then upright. The crows took a flip, and we were upside down, and I just about puked but remembered I hadn't packed a stomach on this trip. I was the closest thing to high-test, full-dread, terrified I'd ever been. Then I crossed that border, and I was about to scream myself silly. I said hush now. No time for your caterwauling. Yeah, sorry. We're going to find the librarian up here, right? This is where he's being held? Who? The librarian. Librarian? Who's that? Librarian. You know, the, the fellow we're on this trip to find. Come on, don't mess with me now. Oh, say, you're right. The librarian. Yeah, that old fella. Come to think of it, you're right about that. It's just that this place plays with a crow's head some. This being the first place and all. Everything else just fades away. Nothing much matters when you're here. You recollect me talking about on the table and off the table stuff one time, maybe. Yeah, of course. Well, this place is... You see... Now, don't go making too much of it for right now, but we're off the table a bit in these parts. Not far, but a ways. But hush up now, here. We got business here, and things is tricky this far off the beaten way. But once we've done what we come here to do, we'll look for this librarian of yours. Of course we will. I was flummoxed. He talked like he didn't even really know the librarian. But they did. I'd always thought they worked for him. Or were friends of his, at least. But now, I didn't know what the hell. We were off the table somewhat, meaning outside of everything that is and was and ain't both. Sure. Makes sense. If you're daft and locked down in a straitjacket, I thought to myself, but not too loud in case they heard me. We were moving fast and low over some pretty spooky scenery now all nothing but shades of black and I don't mean gray we were flying in close formation and I saw what looked like jagged spikes poking up out of the ground ahead when they came into view I saw it was an endless plateau of low black pyramids rising out of an inky black sea from the looks of it that sea was corrosive and the pyramids seemed to be dissolving and they were all eaten away around the edges I noticed the tops of some of those pyramid things were opening up and black tendrils were rising up like wisps of smoke. So we gained altitude and barely avoided the shiny clawed things as they shot skyward, grabbing for the crows as we flew over. My companion started cawing to beat the band, screaming all at once, and I couldn't make out if they were scared or mad or something else. The boss crow I was riding went silent, even as he roared and his mind became an icy black stone that was closed off to me, and I knew I wasn't getting any more out of him. There was a pop inside my head, like a light bulb exploding, and my mind was full of light and sparks, and I seemed to flow like some sort of liquid, 
seeping out in all directions. Whatever passed for Frank Enfield in the other place that was someplace, somewhere I'd once been a part of some millions of years ago, well, that old boy was all dissolved now and disappeared like fog in the hot sun. All that remained was this place, this blackness in a million shades, and it was all me, or... I was blended into it until there was only it. I guess I'd always been there, and maybe something called Frank Enfield was just a dream, something made up that made no sense, and I couldn't tell what a Frank Enfield was anyway, so it didn't matter. This was everything there was, and that was good. The best good that ever was. The tendril claw things were still grabbing for us, and I knew they were right to do it. We shouldn't be flying. We should be down there with them, all of a piece, dissolving into that inky black sweetness. What were we doing up here? We had to get down there, and I was hoping with all my might that those tendrils would finally grab us, take us down out of this nightmare of flying and being, whatever it was we were that flew separate from where we were supposed to be, down there in the everything, the all that was. I had this sense somewhere that what I was doing was wrong, that whatever was saying stuff in my mind was wrong and I should stop thinking. Is that what was happening to, what, me? I was all wrong. That's it, there wasn't supposed to be any me. There was just supposed to be the all, that sweet blackness down there, pure, clean, all one. And I was a stain, a blotch on the perfect blackness below. That wasn't right either. Somehow I was supposed to be part of that inky blackness that was nothing and everything. And Frank Enfield, too, all at the same time. I could hear somebody whimpering and somehow... I knew it was me. I sensed nearby that one of the tendrils had grabbed a hold of one of the ones flying next to me in his blasphemous separateness. The tendril yanked him down into the inky abyss, right into one of those pyramid shapes that opened up and swallowed him whole. I don't know why, but a word came into my sense of what was what. That word was sacrifice. I knew then that each one of those black pyramids was a crow from the before times. First crow. First before... Before what? Whatever came after. It seemed I shared a feeling with the ones that were flying with me. The one who went down dissolving now into that inky black pyramid that was not a grave, but a birthplace. Long before there was anything alive to be born... I saw a wrinkled creature that I knew somehow was called an old man. He never made any sense, and I laughed. Why did I do that? They were all always laughing at him, said he was crazy, said he was the oldest of them and that he was closest to the first days, when inside his head was nothing but blackness. And then some while later, the stars were born, None of that made any sense, and I realized somebody was saying it to me. He was inside of something. The ones I was flying with raised their voices in a song, 
It made me want to scream and weep. Let the water fall right out of my eyes. Whatever those were. And again, I felt guilty for the ideas that bore down on wherever I was. I knew there was one less now that I was flying with. I didn't know what that meant, but somewhere I felt heat and a great weight bearing down on whatever it was that I was or wasn't or was supposed to be. And I was not opposed when there was a great movement and cold wind flowing past us, almost tearing us apart. And then I saw that gray line ahead, a gray line I'd seen somewhere a million years ago, and I breathed a sigh of relief, whatever that meant. But it felt good to be flying, flying somewhere I thought was maybe home. It was a bunch of raucous laughter that woke me, called me up from the depths of a sleep like no other had ever known. Laughter ancient and wise, beyond good and evil, and I had no idea how I knew that, but I was sure of it. We, uh, did we get him? The librarian's safe, yeah? Everything worked out like it should? I sounded like a whimpering pup, hoping there was no more beatings coming down the pike. Then I remembered the crow we'd left behind. I propped myself up in the hammock and saw four geezers staring at me in the face, not five. And I knew that part had been no dream. I grabbed the boss crow man's shirt front and almost drowned in those black eyes that stared down at me from someplace else inside that grizzled old man's head. Tell me he's okay, and that we got him, yeah? The librarian, and and that woman thing, whatever it was, is gone. You got her good to rights, yeah? Settle down now, here. We gotta talk, sure. Things you gots to know. For now, you rest assured that old boy is safe and sound in his library like always. Sleep now. You need to rest after what you've been through. He pushed me down into the hammock, and I did. I slept for, and I got no idea how long, didn't dream, and woke up refreshed. As to be expected, the four crow geezers were sitting around me, staring at me like a pot about to boil. You tell them about them mentors now, mm-hmm. You gonna let them know? What? You know, the mentors. That's what them witches up to the Socrates call them, anyhow. Mentals. Mm-hmm. You gonna tell them? Go on, tell them about the mentals. Them witches call them mentals. Mm-hmm. Them mentals ain't going nowhere unless you want things to fall apart and make a real mess of it. Oh, shut your beak until you knows what you squawking about. He means the elementals. That's what the Socrates and witches call them. Like the ancient salts, only newer. The recipe of which things is built up. Water and earth and such, all that. You knows what I'm getting at. Okay, sure, I suppose now's a good time as any to get this right. First, the librarian, he's just fine. He's up to the library as usual. Now, don't you get your tail feathers in a twist, but he was always there. Never went nowhere, no how. It was you that was charmed by the she-demon on land and sea. But see... 
I'm afraid there's just no getting rid of her and her kin. She's part of things. How stuff's all built up. Part of how things work. And that's enough said on that for now. Why she was messing with you is anybody's guess. Bored, maybe. Who knows? But the town, it was gone. Everybody was gone. I was there. I saw it. The librarian. Everybody was gone. No, sir. You saw what there was to see inside that globe. Inside that charm she laid on you. You was walking down the street like nobody's business. And so was everybody else. Except they couldn't see you and you couldn't see them. But here's the truth on it. To break a charm off of one of them old ones, one of them that's part of things as they is, needs the work of another just as old. That she-devil a land and sea, she's off the table, son. Or pretty near off. As close to the edge as you can get without disappearing into the dark, back into the salts. What you seen when we was flying. He was all matter-of-fact about it, as if all this would make perfect sense to me. I suppose in some way it did, or would later on. There's both good and bad, and something else altogether comes out of that sort. And us too, I suppose. You know, us being beyond the natural order of things, but there has to be a sacrifice to balance things out. There's always got to be a balance. The crow we left behind. Yes, sir. Now, he was the oldest one among us, and he reckoned it was his time, so he drew the short straw, as it were, on purpose. He asked, made a special point, that we bring you along, that you witness his passing into the ancient salts from which all things come, and all things return, and all things come again. I swear, he filled up his chest and bristled with pride at the telling. All things come again? No need to be sad about that old crow. He'll come back spry as a whistle and scrappy as a top. That's the way of things. Everything goes back and forth, comes and goes, comes and goes. That way nothing's wasted and nothing's lost. Maybe he'll come flying back before the sun goes down, set himself right down here and grab for his shine, looking like a kid and hankering mischief. But maybe not till your grandkids, great-grandbabies has long gone to the salts themselves. Who knows? Could be you see him again, maybe not. But don't you worry none, everything comes to rights with the salts. They's the oldest thing there is next to the blackness and the dark. The blackness is black as it gets, but the dark, shoo some, that's just empty. Sure enough, the charm was lifted, thanks to the sacrifice of the old crow geezer. When I made my way back to the Hudson, all was right with the world, and Warren Street never looked so good. I wallowed happily in the friendly waves coming my way, the screaming kids chasing each other home in the fading light, and the bickering Samson family out front of the grocery store closing up for the night. All of it was a damn good sight for these sore eyes. I almost broke into a run to get up to the library. I was glad to see it was already closed. I jimmied the key in the lock and headed down to the basement lair, where I was surprised to find the librarian standing over his desk, pouring himself a cup of steaming tea. Ah, Frank, all of a piece, I see. Good show, old man, good show. Can I pour you a spot of lapsang souchong with a dash of cream and sugar, 
Or do you favor something with a bit more bite under the hood just now, hmm? He looked at me over the top of his glasses. A bit more bite if you don't mind. He poured me a double of something dark and brown from a bottle that looked as ancient as anything I'd ever seen and handed it over to me. So, I hear you've been on a little adventure with some friends. Everything turned out as planned, I hope. I got no idea. What do you know about ancient salts? I was startled to see his head jerk toward me in surprise. Then he did something I'd never seen him do before. He just sort of dropped down on the couch beside me. His mouth gaping and his face blank and even paler than usual. Shaking his head, he took a moment before continuing. So, they took you there, did they? The first place? Yeah, it was pretty weird. What I can remember of it, I slammed my drink. It definitely had a hell of a kick, but it was honeyed and smoky and reminded me of the best scotch whiskey, but at the same time, it tasted like something else entirely. I signaled for another. They've never taken me, you know. No? Did he, the one who seems to be in charge, did he happen to mention that on the table and off the table business? Uh, Yes, sir, he did. And how that woman thing looked like the devil kids from before on the island and down in New Orleans. Crowboss said there was no getting rid of her, that she was a part of things. That's right. He tossed back the last of his tea like it was a shot of something that went down hot. I'm afraid this changes everything, Mr. Enfield. He yanked his watch and fob out of his brocade vest pocket and fumbled at the chain until he held a small silver key in his hand. I'm going to be away tomorrow on business that's long overdue. In my absence, I want you to come here to my lair and get rather well acquainted with things. Look around. Review carefully the books on my shelves, the curios and odds and ends on display hereabouts. Take your time. When you are finished and quite satisfied with all that you've discovered, I want you to take this key, go behind my desk into the alcove, pull back the tapestry, and unlock the door you will find there. He pressed the key firmly into my hand like it was a matter of life and death. But before you enter that room... Stand at the threshold for a moment. He rose to his full height and looked down at me. Then he did something that shocked me with a jolt. He clasped my shoulder firmly, a strange, faraway look in his eyes. Consider all that you have seen and heard and learned since you first came by my humble little town. Each encounter you have had Packards and gin, coyote, ghosts, the Baron Samidi himself, and all the rest. They have prepared you for the journey the crows took you on. You are not the same man who went with them into the before times, into the ancient salts. He's gone forever, I'm afraid. You cannot turn back now. But you must pause and gather your wits and your courage before stepping through the door that leads to the room that lies beyond. For in a very real manner of speaking, I'm afraid you will never come out of it again. He turned towards the door and paused. 
I'm sorry, Frank. And then he was gone. 